Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. And this is the show uh, where Father Bernard Utley, OSB, takes us through the various uh, different facets of the uh, Catholic's spiritual life. And uh, so, of course, I'm joined, as always, by uh, Father Bernard. Father, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, it's good to be back. Thank you. Today's uh, show, we're going to be starting uh, an introduction or a first part of a multi-part series on prayer. As listeners can imagine, it's a huge topic, and there's no way it could have been uh, jammed into one show, unless I suppose we tried doing a four- or five-hour show. And and even then, I'm sure there'd be a a lot left unsaid. So Father thought that it'd be best to do it in a a multi-part and... uh, Today will be uh, more of an introduction to uh, what he'll be discussing in later shows on uh, on prayer and, and an introduction to what is prayer itself and some uh, facets of that. Now, this show, of course, is sponsored by uh, very generous but anonymous uh, lay people from uh, Australia. So we're uh, very grateful to them for making this show available for free to all of our listeners uh, as a result of their sponsorship. And uh, just a reminder that uh, if you become a True Restoration member at the Platinum Annual Membership level and above, you're granted full access to all the other shows on the network, since not all shows are free, and also full access to truerestorationmedia.com's library, which has hundreds of hours of video interviews and conferences from uh, Catholic clergy and laity alike, and um, again, that gives you full access to all the other radio <laughs> programs as well, and you can get that by visiting restorationradionetwork.com and go to the member area on the menu to find out details on how to become a member. So uh, that said, Father, uh, please uh, t- take us into prayer. Okay. Yeah, today I, I wanted to start at least at least a three-part series on prayer. It might actually be four parts, I'm not sure. And there's just so much to say about prayer that I simply uh, wouldn't do the subject any justice by squeezing everything into one or even two shows. Uh, there is definitely going to be some overlap between the episodes because everything is interconnected, so please bear with me um, if I uh, refer to the same topic or I, I uh, repeat Uh, a famous quote. Um, In this episode today, I just wanted to begin by talking about prayer in general, uh, the basic concept of prayer, uh, its importance, its uh, primary purpose, uh, the efficacy or power of prayer, uh, and the the perennial quote-unquote problem of unanswered prayers, uh, and also deal with prayer intentions. And then I want to leave with some closing thoughts. In the next episode, I will talk about the various kinds of prayer. Uh, We'll go deeper into vocal prayer, mental prayer, uh, which is more discursive meditation, uh, some common difficulties in prayer. In the third episode, and probably it will spill over to a fourth episode, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is contemplation, or more precisely, Uh, the stage of transition between meditative or discursive prayer to the beginnings of infused contemplation. Uh, This transitional period is 
called the Night of the Senses, as St. John of the Cross calls it. And this is where uh, a devout soul enters the contemplative way of prayer as its habitual prayer. Uh, this is kind of a crisis in the spiritual life, and hence the term St. John gives it, Night of the Senses. It can be a confusing time, a time of great dryness in prayer, a time of danger because uh, one is tempted to give up prayer altogether, as one seems to be going backwards and not progressing. But what is actually happening is God is calling the soul to a different kind of prayer, a more profound and sanctifying kind of prayer. And this is actually more common than people think. Many devout souls are at this stage of transition. Uh, they have all the, the three signs, which St. John of the Cross teaches are signs of the beginning of infused contemplation. This is why one writer wrote a book on this topic, and he, he entitled the, the book Common Mystic Prayer. That's Father Gabriel Diefenbach, a Capuchin in the 40s. Excellent, excellent little book. And I'll be dealing with that topic. And um, this is a topic uh, that I'm especially excited to cover uh, ever since we started this whole uh, show on the spiritual life. This is uh, one of my favorite topics uh, that I spent many years at the monastery trying to get to the bottom of, trying to understand more fully. Um, and this transitional period, unfortunately, is not talked about in these days. Uh, in uh, traditional Catholics, just don't talk about it. It seems to be not understood. And uh, that includes, uh, unfortunately, many priests, I think. And uh, therefore, there is a lack of direction on this kind of prayer. I won't go much more into this topic right now, but I want to say that the night of the senses is not a highfalutin advanced uh, point in the spiritual life. It's actually quite early on, um, not at the absolute beginning, but not way off uh, in the unitive stage. It's really the transition from what is called the uh, purgative to the illuminative stage. It's the transition between those, and it's more common than people think, and I want to deal with that because it's very practical, uh, and uh, it's just not talked about, and I want to keep that doctrine alive, that tradition. Uh, it's really the heart of Catholic spirituality in a lot of ways. Um, just in general, in the spiritual life, uh, there's hardly a, a more important subject than prayer, or, or a more impor important part of uh, of the Catholic spirituality. Prayer is really the soul of the interior life. It is the interior life in one way. And progress in prayer is really progress in the spiritual life. St. Francis de Sales says the whole world was made for prayer. Everything in our holy religion is made for prayer. Our churches, our liturgy, every ceremony, our sacred music, our devotions, even the incense we use in the church is symbolical prayer. Everything it is to lead the soul into prayer, into uh, union with God. Uh, the life of heaven itself is a life of prayer. Uh, so prayer on this earth is, is, in a sense, heaven begun, the life of heaven begun. Um, in heaven, this life of prayer will bring with it intense joy and happiness. And, and in, then in this mortal life, it's often not the most enjoyable experience but it can also it can become the source of, of very great joy and true peace and interior strength. Um, and as we'll discuss, uh, we get further on in today, we'll uh, learn that prayer is not the exact same thing as reciting prayers. Uh, prayer is, is much more wider and deeper 
than just prayer formulas. St. Augustine says, is there anything more excellent than prayer in our life? Anything sweeter to the heart or anything more sublime in our holy religion? Prayer is the groundwork of all virtues, the ladder by which we mount to God. It is related to the angels. It is the foundation of faith. And St. Gregory the Great says, of all things that we esteem and treasure in this life, there is nothing more precious than prayer. And I love this line from St. Teresa of Avila, a very powerful word. She says, there is but one road that reaches God, and that is prayer. If anyone shows you another, you are being deceived. And again, as always in in these shows, I I like to give the listeners uh, quotes and excerpts because for two reasons. Many people have not had the access uh, to the spiritual books that I have, and I've collected these excerpts over time. Um, It's just, these are golden words. And, um, you know, I couldn't possibly uh, paraphrase uh, these great saints, but why would I want to? And I want to be able to, for the record, give these these, uh, words of these these, uh, geniuses in the spiritual life. And they they give authority that what I'm saying here is not my opinion. I try not to say anything that I haven't read before. Uh, So, again, uh, if I do quote many authors and give excerpts, some of them might be a little long. uh, I think it's worth recording them for our listeners. Let's start with the necessity of prayer in general. Um, Prayer is morally necessary for salvation by precept. That is, that is by commandment of God. God commands us to pray in Scripture many, in many, many places. Our Lord said, watch and pray, ask, and it shall be given you. And he said, we ought always to pray and not to faint. St. Paul says that we must pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalon- uh, Thessalonians, and he also said, be assiduous in prayer to the Colossians. Obviously, our Lord and St. Paul is not here recommending us to always be reciting prayers, but we have to pray always. And I'll get to that another time, how one's whole life can become a kind of continual prayer. So prayer is necessary for salvation because God has commanded it. Prayer is also necessary for salvation by divine institution, by ordinary law. And Theologians distinguish two types of necessity of means. One is by a divine institution. That is, God has decreed that this is the ordinary law, but God could admit of an exception. For example, uh, an example of this is the, the necessity of sacramental baptism for salvation. This could be supplanted by an act of perfect contrition with the implicit desire for baptism. It's the normal means. It's the ordinary law. But there can be exceptions. Uh, then there is the necessity of means ex natura rei, which is from the very nature of things. Uh, and this admits of no possible exception for anyone under any circumstances. And a good example of this is the necessity of sanctifying grace for salvation. No one can enter heaven without sanctifying grace. That's the very life of God that gives you the ability um, to enjoy the beatific vision. God, of course, can give grace outside of the sacraments and outside uh, in extraordinary uh, circumstances. So it is the common and certain theological doctrine that prayer is necessary by necessity of means, 
and that is uh, Ex Institutione Divina, by divine institution, for the salvation of adults. So God could admit of exceptions. He could give grace to someone who doesn't pray, but that would be outside the ordinary rule. And this is what led St. Alphonsus Liguri to write, He who prays will, will be saved. He who does not pray will certainly be lost. All who have been saved were saved through prayer. All who have been lost were lost through their neglect of prayer. Those are strong words. And St. Alphonsus here is referring to someone with the use of reason, of course, not a child. Um, ultimately, to be saved, we simply need to die in the state of grace. But for an adult, for someone with the use of reason and, and capable of sinning and turning away from God, prayer becomes a necessity. And the reason for this is simply we need prayer because we need grace to save our souls. We need grace to stay in the state of sanctifying grace. Um, and salvation, life everlasting, is a supernatural end that is beyond, uh, by, nef- by definition, uh, it's supernatural. It's beyond our natural ability to attain by our, our own unaided strength. So we need God's grace. And besides the sacraments, prayer is the primary means of acquiring God's actual grace, actual graces to resist temptation, to resist sin, and to perform meritorious actions, and to stay in the state of grace, and to grow in grace. Um, this gives us the ability to, to observe the commandments. St. Augustine said, For God does not command impossibilities, but by commanding, admonishing, admonishes you both to do what you can do, and to pray for what you cannot do, and assists you that you may be able. So those things in, this, in life, we, we can't, without me you can do nothing, our Lord said. Uh, in this uh, towards salvation in the spiritual life we we are totally dependent on him and therefore we're dependent on his grace on his inspiration on his strength saint augustine wrote as our body cannot live without nourishment so our soul cannot cannot be kept spiritually alive without prayer saint john chrysostom a fish taken out of the water cannot live in a very in a very short time it dies Neither the soul of man can exist without prayer. It will gradually grow languid and die. Let us be convinced that not to pray and to lose the life of the soul, that is, the grace of God, is one and the same thing. St. Augustine, again, he says, As long as God does not deprive you of prayer, he will not withdraw his mercy from you. For he who gives you the spirit of prayer will give you that for which you are praying, the prayer of the just is the key to heaven. In the, in the strength of prayer, we are able to do all things. Prayer is the main protection of our soul. Prayer is the source of all virtues. These are strong words. shows us the importance of prayer. And I'll end with, on this topic here, uh, by a quote by Father Gustave de Ravignon, uh, a Jesuit, 1858. He writes these words that I found quite uh, quite powerful. He said, believe me, my dear friends, believe in experience ripened by 30 years in the sacred ministry. I do here affirm that all deceptions, all spiritual deficiencies, all miseries, all falls, all faults, and even the most serious wanderings out of the right path all proceed from this simple source, a want of constancy in prayer. Live the life of prayer. Learn to bring everything, to change everything into prayer pains and trials and temptations of all kinds. Pray in calm, pray in storm, pray on waking and pray during the daytime. Coming and going, pray. 
tired out and distracted? Pray. Whatsoever your repugnance may be, pray. Pray that you may learn to pray. Teach us, O Lord, how to pray. But I cannot pray. That is heresy. Yes, you can always pray. If you feel a disgust, nay, a horror of prayer, pray on. Pray in spite of yourself, against yourself. Beg for the courage in prayer which our agonizing Savior merited for you by his pangs in Gethsemane and upon Calvary. Pray, for prayer is the strength which saves, the courage which perseveres, the mystic bridge cast over the abyss which joins the soul to God. And being in an agony, he prayed the longer. Unquote. But what is prayer? We have to start with that question. What is prayer? The classic definition of prayer really dates back to the time of the fathers of the church. Namely, prayer is the raising of the mind and heart to God. And this is St. John Damascene uh, wrote this. Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. Now, this is where uh, we get in the Baltimore Catechism number three. This incorporates this traditional classic definition and it also adds some applications as well. And the catechism says this, prayer is the lifting up of our minds and hearts to God, to adore him, to thank him for his benefits, to ask his forgiveness, and to beg of him all the graces we need, whether for soul or body, unquote. And that's a good definition, I think quite all-inclusive. So let us uh, look at the first half of that answer. Lifting up our mind and hearts to God. Lifting up uh, here means turning from creatures, uh, which often occupy our attention in, inordinately, out of order. We're too focused on it. And we lift them away from creatures, and it fixes our attention devoutly on God. Um, so mind and heart here signify especially the, the two faculties of intellect and will, your mind and will. Uh, it's not enough to merely raise one's mind to God. An atheist can think about God, but it wouldn't be prayer. There, there must be the raising of the heart to God as well. Um, and this implies uh, at least a little devotion, uh, some love, some inclination of the will towards God, at least to seek his mercy, um, etc. So merely thinking about God is not prayer. There has to be some act or action of the will towards God. And this is what we mean by raising of the heart. And the heart here does not mean the raising of feelings or emotions. Emotions, they could be aroused by prayer, or they may not be. Their, their, their presence is, is no proof that our prayer is good, and their absence is no sign that it's bad. Uh, it's really irre irrelevant. Uh, sometimes feelings can assist our prayer, and sometimes they can be a hindrance. Uh, and so of themselves, they're of no value. The heart is the will. It, it really means the it means the, the innermost depth within us, who we are, basically, um, the ultimate source of our very personality. The heart is basically the will, but it, it goes deeper, a little bit deeper than that even. The will is the faculty in us that, or, or the power with which we desire and we want and we aspire to and we, we love or choose. And this includes all the other acts of, of devotion as well, thanksgiving and praise. Um, Abbot Lahodi, uh, he's a Cistercian abbot. He wrote a book called Ways of Mental Prayer, and he, he explains this. The soul, therefore, leaves aside the useless thoughts, the nothings, the frivolities, which too often invaded, 
It abandons the thoughts which are good at another time, such as all questions of business, of work, of office. It raises itself above the earth and the things of earth. It minds its mind and its affections ascend to heaven. They stop not even at the choirs of angels and of saints, unless indeed our prayers directly addressed to them. They ascend even to God. They rest in God. There, fixed in God, we look affectionately at God. We enter into conversation with God, and God deigns to listen to us with love as a father to his children, and to reply to us by granting us interior lights and affections. Unquote. If you notice here, Abbot Lahodi, right, he brings up and a very important idea of conversation with God. And that is another definition of prayer that I particularly like. Um, we must be careful not to make prayer into something cold and mechanical. It's, it's a merely external lip service or a routine type of thing, a routine service of God. It, it's really a loving conversation with God. Uh, we raise our mind and heart to God to converse with God, to commune with God, to speak to God, and to listen to God. And God speaks, you know, we don't expect to hear a, an audible voice, but God speaks to us when we listen. He speaks to us by interior lights, uh, by strength, by actual grace. We come away with more strength to do his will. And often um, we discover, you know, some of the difficulties in our life are uh, we get to see through them after prayer. So well, prayer really Father, is a conference. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, just on the topic of prayer um I, I when you were mentioning the definition of prayer i, I was going to ask that so the, the, the quote somewhat answers that but i'm wondering is it possible to actually pray without um uh conversing with god or speaking to god or uh, rather than just thinking about god or, or is it can it still be prayer if you're just contemplating god without actually making some form of uh attempt to communicate if i can put it that way uh, yes, uh, um, I think I know what you mean. Um, yeah, you don't have to have necessarily a, a mental interior conversation like you would with a, with a human being. Um, but it's more than just thinking about God in a speculative way. So you can converse with God. Really, God is a spirit. And our Lord said, God is a spirit, and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth. And God can read your heart. So you don't have to necessarily uh, um, mentally uh, verbalize, you know, even what you're going to say to him. You look at him and you, even the mere thinking of him and desiring him, um, God can read that, of course. He can read your heart perfectly. And this is something which I'll get into a little bit more deeply as we go along and towards the end of the show. But I think... Does that, does that make sense? I don't know if that answers your question, but definitely you're able to converse with God without necessarily having a, a, a dialogue, a mental dialogue in your head. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm just, um, I guess I'm just trying to think of what would be the difference between a, um, you said like an atheist just thinking about God, that wouldn't be prayer, but would it be prayer if someone who has that faith is, just thinking about God, I, I guess because there'd be that difference since the, since the person with faith actually well, uh, is thinking about a being that he believes in and has the a relationship uh, not, with. No, no, no. I'd say in, in that case, uh, really, 
uh, all the spiritual writers say that discursive meditation, basically what you're thinking of is that someone is thinking abstractly about God, the nature of God, what he's done. Um, just thinking about God and what he's done is not prayer until you make acts of the will. Okay. So if it remains just speculative, just, you know, then that, that has its place in the spiritual life. It forms convictions and things like that, uh, and, and, and it grows our knowledge of God. But really, prayer, um, to be prayer, you need acts of the will. You need some kind of inclination or devotion, some kind of um, uh, affection of the will in one way. And that could be it's extremely simple. It doesn't have to be a complex thing. Uh, but, but until that inclination, until there's actually a, some uh, movement of the will towards God, it's, it's really not prayer. It's just thinking about God. Mm. Now, you can offer up, if you offer it up, I, I'm going to study theology right now and try to figure it all, all this out, uh, and I'm going to be thinking about God. I offer this as a prayer. Well, that's an act towards God. Um, so it, it can have the value of prayer, uh, but the mere thinking about God uh, without the acts of the will, it, it's not uh, really prayer in itself. Okay. Uh, in reference to you know prayer being a conversation, I have uh, three other uh, quotes I wanted to read. St. John Climacus says, Prayer, considered in its essence, is a conversation and union be- between God and man. St. Augustine says, your prayer is speaking to God. When you read, God speaks to you. When you pray, you speak to God. And and that's a, a very important quote, uh, and that's the importance of daily spiritual reading right there. It's, it's so important for a healthy spiritual life that when you read, God speaks to you. And he really does th- uh, through, uh, when you do daily spiritual reading, um, either between the lines or... <laughs> Or, or what you read, God usually has at least one message in there that it hits you between the eyes, and, it, and you come away um, a different person, a little strengthened. Uh, I think the best quote, though, in regards to prayer being a conversation with God is St. Teresa of Avila's uh, well-known words. She's especially referring to mental prayer, but uh, she says, Mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship a frequent heart-to-heart conversation with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. Always like that quote. Now, now there's two main kinds of prayer. Uh, It's usually divided into two kinds. It's vocal prayer and mental prayer. And, And generally speaking, vocal prayer is when we make use of a set formula with our lips and, and, where we endeavor to conform our thoughts and desires, at least some way, uh, to the words that we're speaking. Um, Mental prayer is that prayer which we strive to originate these thoughts, these developed thoughts and affections uh, by ourselves, um, and then to give expression to them by a sort of perhaps very simple interior conversation with God. So mental prayer is usually expressed by our own words. Uh, so it's more spon- spontaneous than the vocal prayer. Mental prayer usually uh, expresses itself by purely mental acts uh, without external expression. So it's, in, it's inside. But you can also express mental prayer uh, with spoken words. 
So just the mere fact that you you, you speak out loud of wh- what you're praying inside, it doesn't mean that it ceases to be mental prayer. But vocal prayer is usually uh, you're reading something written by someone else, uh, either from Scripture or the saints or some other formula in a prayer book. And then mental prayer is when you make it up yourself uh, and you think about God um, uh, interiorly. And now um, it can also be um, mentally, in a sense, mentally reciting uh, other other words as well. But usually it's inside you uh, more so than vocal prayer. So vocal prayer is really using a set formula or formulae, which you try to conform your mind and heart to. Um, and mental prayer is more of a conversation with God in your own words. Both are important in our prayer life. Uh, they work together and they help each other. Of the two, uh, for one's personal spiritual life, we're not talking about the liturgy and, and um, the public life of the church, but mental prayer is more noble uh, than vocal prayer. Uh, because vocal prayer, uh, you recite with your lips and your, and your and, uh, external voice. Uh, in order to be prayer at all, you have to have the mental side as well. So you have to have that interior aspect to it. Remember, pray, prayer is the raising of the mind and heart to God. It's not uh, just the same thing. Prayer is not just moving your lips and reciting mechanically a set formula. If prayer is simply, uh, the, if, if it's the same as just reciting a prayer like that, you could train parrots to pray, and they can't. Um, so again, it's it's not just reciting a formula on the outside. Um, you know, it's not <clears throat> the Buddhist prayer wheel that we could set up, and as often you, you, you they the Buddhists would, you know, carve or or uh, have a have a, a prayer on a wheel, and they would spin it, and every time it spins, that's being prayed. Uh, we don't, you know, that's superstition to us. That uh, real prayer is is uh, the raising of the mind and heart to God. And this is why St. Teresa of Avila didn't like the sharp distinction between mental and vocal prayer, because um, she she staunchly maintained that vocal prayer uh, in which uh, interior contact with God is absent. It's really no prayer at all, as I just said. Um, she writes, I do not allude to mental prayer more than to vocal prayer, for it is for if it is to be prayer at all, the mind must take a part in it. If a person neither considers whom he is addressing, what he asks, nor what he he himself is who ventures to speak to God, although his lips may move with many words, I do not call it prayer. Again, this goes back to our our definition of prayer, the raising of our mind and heart to God, not just the lips. Now, why should we raise our mind and heart to God? What is the end or purpose of prayer? Now, let's go back to the catechism. Prayer is the lifting up of our minds and hearts to God, to adore him, to thank him for his benefits, to ask his forgiveness, uh, to beg of him all the graces we need, whether of soul or body. So prayer in this widest sense uh, does four things. There's four ends to prayer in a sense. It adores God, it gives thanks, it asks pardon, and it begs for graces. So adoration, thanksgiving, contrition, and supplication or petition. And we can remember these ends by by a little uh, acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS, Adoration, Thanksgiving, Contrition, and Supplication. 
or what we normally call it, petition. <clears throat> These are, are really our four main duties to God. So adoration, uh, we pray to God um, in order to give God adoration, to, to adore him as our sovereign creator, our, uh, all, the almighty Lord, the infinitely perfect being, worthy of our complete and absolute submission and love. Uh, he deserves our whole heart simply because he, he is infinitely good and lovable, and not just because of the things he does for us and what we've received from him, because he is God, pure and simple, and that uh, we need to adore him. Uh, we are his creatures. Then we come to contrition, and we also pray to, to God in order to ask his forgiveness for our sins, to ask pardon, uh, to make reparation and satisfaction for our sins, uh, most of us, unfortunately, have too often offended God by our sins, and it's only just that we beg his forgiveness and mercy and make some reparation uh, by opposite acts of contrition. So this is uh, one of the primary ends of prayer is contrition, um, the satisfaction. Um, Psalm 50 says, A sacrifice to God is an afflicted spirit, a contrite and humble heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So contrition is a very important aspect of prayer. Uh, then we have the thanksgiving. We all also must pray out of gratitude to God uh, to make thanksgiving, to thank God for all that we are and all that we have. Every, every good thing that we have, we've received from God. Uh, life itself, uh, um, and we need to thank him for all his temporal and earthly gifts, but more importantly, for the spiritual goods that he has given us. He's given us so many graces, so many chances, so many um, signs of his mercy towards us. Uh, we, baptism, the true faith, the light to see the truth in this in this age of apostasy and confusion. Um, so many things, so many reasons to give thanks to God. Um, then we got a supplication or or the prayer petition, and and taken in the in the narrow sense, prayer is usually identified with petition, with supplication, uh, asking things from God. So when, when we normally say, you know, I need to pray to God or you need to pray to God, one normally means petition uh, to ask him for something that you need. Uh, this is St. Basil the Great. He said, uh, prayer is an appeal for good things made to God by devout people. That's a good definition of prayer. Really, it's taken in that narrow sense uh, too often. Uh, prayer has almost become identified with petition. And in a way, that's kind of unfortunate, I think, because then we tend to only pray when we need something. And we forget to pray simply to adore God, to praise him, to thank him, to love him, to make acts of contrition. Um, you know, prayer, although the prayer of petition is not the, the, the highest kind of prayer, it is a good, good prayer, good, and it's necessary because we have needs, both spiritual and temporal uh, it, it, it's in a sense the most essential because we need God's grace to save our soul, and He wants us to save our souls. But He wants us He wants us to want it too. So you have to ask, or you shall, uh, and you shall receive. Um, prayer, um, really, the prayer petition it gives glory to God because uh, by it we we recognize our nothingness, our helplessness, and we and we look to God as to a Father uh, to provide us with good things and. Uh, he wants us to turn to him in prayer. He wants us to petition him. Um, just look at the, the Our Father that Christ taught us to pray. It's filled with petitions. Um, 
And this leads us, what can we pray for? What, what are we allowed to pray for? And St. Augustine gives a great answer. He says that we're permitted to pray for anything that we are permitted to desire. Now, you're not permitted to desire something sinful, so you can't pray for that. Um, so there's nothing wrong to, to pray for physical health, to, to uh, pray for to find a suitable spouse. If you're single, you're looking to find a good job, etc., um, I think, however, the, the problem is people too often limit their petitions to temporal goods, and they forget their spiritual needs. There, there are many people out there who recite, recite novena after novena and prayer after prayer for something temporal. There's nothing wrong with that, but how many people, if you ask them what they are praying for, would reply, I'm, 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 how many would say, I'm praying to, for an increase of the love of God? Or I'm praying for the grace to understand the faith so I can live it more perfectly. Or I'm praying for humility. Or I'm praying for the grace of final perseverance. These are the primary gifts which we need to pray for, spiritual things. Uh, These are the gifts which God wants to give us far more than any temporal blessing. He gives us temporal blessings only insofar as they may help our salvation. So, And also... The question comes up, who can we pray for? Uh, We can pray for anyone who is capable of being saved. Um, This would exclude the demons and the damned. Uh, But since we don't know precisely who is damned, um, really, you can pray for anyone. Because that we don't give up hope, really, for anyone. Maybe to the exclusion of Judas, um, but other than that, we're, we're not sure. We're not certain. Also, uh, remember, uh, with God, there is no time. Uh, we have no idea, but it is possible that our prayer today helps someone in the past to save their soul. And with God, this is certainly possible. It's not usually talked about, but I, I think it's certainly possible. I remember reading, actually, uh, you can definitely pray for the Holy Souls in pur- Purgatory, uh, but I remember reading, I was going to put this in today, and I, I'll just say this quickly. It is the opinion of some theologians that you can pray for the saints, even though you, they're already saved, that in a sense that they are given more honor and glory in heaven, uh, accidental honor and glory, which um, I don't know about that one, but it's definitely uh, has been discussed. I think uh, definitely... Uh, it's a possibility, but we should pray definitely for anyone who can be saved and is in danger. Uh, we should not, uh, in charity, we should not exclude anyone. Um, doesn't mean that you have to name everyone in your prayers, but you shouldn't purposely exclude anyone in your of your in your prayers. Um, that's an interesting point, Father, because that's something that I'd actually wondered about sometimes, because. Uh, you know, sometimes outwardly, uh, like there's people that clearly died outside the church, like, you know, baptized persons right. that, um, you know, for example, today there's, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have family members who uh, were married, divorced, mm-hmm. didn't even seek an annulment from the Novus Ordo, got, mm-hmm. quote, remarried, unquote, um, you know, didn't go to church for years and then died, Um so outward mm-hmm. appearances, I've kind of right. wondered, well, you know, can, can we pray if, if we have family members that have been in a state like that? But um, I, mean, I guess you've answered that because we don't know what may have 
which happened behind the scenes right. that we don't know about. So right. since it's unknown, it would still be right. okay. And uh, I, I, um, yep. I, I've also heard uh, one priest told me that no prayers are ever wasted. So even though we don't know right. whether someone's saved, even right. if they actually are in hell, God would right. still make use of our prayer in another way. Is that right? Absolutely. I, I've heard that as well. That's definitely... I mean, it's just, it would be just of God. Uh, it, 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 that, that has to be the case. Um, right. I, yeah, I think, to get back to your point about we don't know who's damned, I think, you know, it's definitely not a good sign when someone dies in those states. Um, but there's so many times where in the lives of the saints, I remember uh, St. John Vianney was consoling a, a woman who her husband jumped off the bridge to kill himself. And she was distraught that he committed suicide, and um, which we normally believe to be, a, you know, a grave sin, and and that person most likely would be in hell. But Saint John of Vianney said, "Don't he that he before he he hit the water before he died, um, he made an act of contrition, he repented, and he is saved." Um, so we never know what happened the last second uh, when even though the person loses. Um, external consciousness. We don't know what God does behind the scenes. It doesn't look good, you know. As as the tree leans, uh, usually it falls in that direction. But God can perform miracles of grace. And so, and this is why Saint Augustine said, "He who has little hope for anyone's salvation has little hope for his own." So let's um, let's hold out hope. Um, God certainly doesn't want anyone damned, and and um, we can't rely on. Uh, deathbed conversions or, or last-minute saves like that, but uh, we don't know uh, anyone's um, precise condition. It's not it's definitely not part of of revelation of public revelation. That's why the church canonizes saints, but it never publishes a list of the damned. It, it's really not our business to know. We know that it's possible, and we know that many go there to help, but, but we don't know uh, individuals, so we just pray for everyone. This leads uh, to an objection of, uh, about prayer, and, and that is this, that since God knows our needs better than we do, it seems unnecessary to to tell him, to, to, get, to give voice to our petitions. And St. Thomas answers this, and he simply says that we need to pray to God not to make known to him our needs, but that we may be reminded of the necessity of having recourse to God. So we're not teaching God anything. Our Lord said, the Father knows what you need, but he still wants to know. He wants you to turn to him uh, and ask. Uh, The second objection to prayer in general is that God knows from all eternity what he will grant us and what he will not grant us. Therefore, since we cannot change the immutable will of God, it's useless to pray. And yes, indeed, God is unchangeable. He's immutable. And he certainly knows uh, what he's granted us. But the the whole purpose of prayer is not to change God's mind, but really to enter into his plan <clears throat> from all eternity. I think Gregory says this this very well. He says, Think Gregory the Great. Men ought to pray to dispose themselves to receive what Almighty God from eternity has decided to give them. So you're not changing God, um, but that God would not have given it to you unless you prayed. So he knows from all eternity, 
uh, that you are going to pray for that, and he will to give that to you. So we have to pray. Prayer is really a cause, um, and that he, he gives us the power to participate uh, in the course of events by prayer. Uh, St. Thomas says this, Divine providence disposes not only what effects shall take place, but also from what cause causes and in what order these effects shall proceed. Now, among other causes, human acts are the causes of certain effects. Wherefore, it must be that men do certain actions, not that thereby they may change the divine disposition, but that by those actions they may achieve certain effects according to the order of the d- d- divine disposition. And the same is to be said of natural causes. And so it is with regard to pray, prayer. For we pray, not that we may change the divine disposition, but that we may impetrate that which God has disposed to be fulfilled by our prayers. Now, that's a little complicated, but I think C.S. Lewis explains it in more everyday language. And he says this, um, Petitionary prayer is nonetheless both allowed and commanded to us, give us our daily bread. And no doubt it raises a theoretical problem. Can we believe that God ever really modifies his action in response to the suggestions of men? For infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best, and infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. But neither does God need any of those things that are done by finite agents, whether living or inanimate. He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food, or give us food without the aid of farmers and bakers and butchers, or knowledge without the aid of learned men or convert the heathen without missionaries. Instead, he allows soils and weather and animals and the muscles, minds, and wills of men to cooperate in the execution of his will. God, says Pascal, instituted prayer in order to lend to his creatures the dignity of causality. But not only prayer, whenever we act at all, he lends us that dignity. It is not really strange, uh, stranger nor less strange than my prayers should affect the course of events than that my other action should do so. They have not advised or changed God's mind, that is, his overall purpose, but that purpose will be realized in different ways according to the actions, including the prayers, of his creatures. For he seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures, unquote. So basically, prayer is not meant to change God. It's meant to change us. Uh, It's not to make God conform to our will, but to conform our will to God's will. And ultimately, this is why we, we go to prayer not to please ourselves, but to please God. Now we come to what we can call the perennial problem about prayer of petition, namely so-called unanswered prayers. And this is what really bothers many people about prayer. I get asked about this a lot, and it's probably... almost a a topic for a whole show, uh, but I will discuss it a little bit here. In order to give us great confidence in the power of prayer, our Lord says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. All things, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you shall receive and they shall come to you. Amen, amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now, these words of our blessed Savior seem to imply that we will get whatever we pray for, especially if we tack his name on the end of our request. Now, obviously, this is simply not what our Lord must have meant. 
praying in his name is not the same thing as using his name as a secret password. Uh, it is praying in the spirit of Christ as he would pray. And how did he pray? <clears throat> With absolute trust in his father, but absolute resignation to his father's will. Not my will, but thine be done. And to quote C.S. Lewis again, uh, he has something on this topic that I thought was well written. Quote, there are no doubt passages in the New Testament which may seem at first sight to promise an invariable granting of our prayers, but that cannot be what they really mean. For in the very heart of the story, we, we meet a glaring instance to the contrary. In Gethsemane, the holiest of all petitioners prayed three times that a certain cup might pass from him. It did not. After that, the idea that prayer is recommended to us as a sort of infallible gimmick may be dismissed. Unquote. However, the common teaching of theologians that true prayer, by which we ask for ourselves with humility and confidence and perseverance, uh, the grace is necessary for salvation, is infallibly heard. But there are conditions, uh, and St. Thomas tells us these four conditions. And one is, he says, four conditions are laid, namely to ask, one, for ourselves, <clears throat> two, things necessary for salvation, three, piously, and four, perseveringly. When all these four concur, we always obtain what we ask for. Um, so many people, they, they fail in one of these. They either give up, so they fail in perseverance. Uh, they pray for something that is not necessary for their salvation uh, or even a hindrance to their salvation. So obviously they're not going to get that. Um, and this is primarily directed for ourselves. Um, you can pray for others, definitely, uh, but it's more of a, a, um, um, a mercy from God when he grants that. It, it's really a, a personal thing between you and God, uh, prayer petition, uh, like what you need for, for salvation. A theologian uh, who wrote the book, The Theology of Christian Perfection, Father uh, Ro uh, Ro Rojo, uh, a Dominican, Spanish Dominican, he writes this, It is an error to believe that if we persevere in prayer, come what may, we shall always obtain that which we seek. Some things will be granted to us whether we pray for them or not, because God has decreed that they, they shall be granted to us absolutely. Some things will never be granted to us, no matter how earnestly and how long we pray for them. Still others will be granted to us only if we pray, because God has decreed that they will be given only on the condition that we ask for them. Unquote. Now, what basically Father Rojo is saying here is that if you ask for something that's not good for your salvation or another salvation, God's not going to grant it to you, no matter how long you ask for it. Uh, but he will give you something better, something in a, in a spiritual order that is better, uh, perhaps increase the sanctifying grace or, or some other actual graces that help you along the road to heaven. Remember what our Lord said. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So our Lord said that what father, what father out there would, would at, uh, when asked by his child for a fish, he hands him a snake, or when he asks for bread, hands him a stone. And so often what seems to us, <clears throat> what seems to us to be good for us, it's not always good for us. Uh, and God, who loves us more than we love ourselves, he's not going to give us something that is bad for us spiritually. And this is sometimes hard to accept sometimes because 
uh, you know, often the things that we pray for seem so good, even spiritually good for us. Uh, but if, if it is truly spiritually good and necessary for our salvation, keep praying and trusting and you'll get it. If you need it, God will give it to you. On the other hand, uh, we mustn't think, oh, I, I won't bother praying because if I was meant to have it, I'll, I'll get, get it no matter what. That's not true. There's many things that depend on prayer. It's conditional. Ask and you shall receive. And if you don't ask, you're not going to receive it. I think the main point that we have to remember that prayer is not magic. Uh, God is not a, a machine where we push some buttons and get a desired result. We have to avoid that penny in the slot spirituality, as Father Lean calls it. In prayer, we're speaking to a real person, a divine person, or if we're speaking, the Holy Trinity is three divine persons. Our Lord is infinitely wise and infinitely good, and he's a loving person, but he's a real person, and he truly cares about us and our needs. Uh, so he's going to do what is what is best for us. Um, I think ultimately the primary end of prayer, even the prayer petition, uh, is union with God. That's the greatest thing that he can give us, is, is the increase of sanctifying grace and closer um, bonds of union between the soul and God. That is ultimately the best thing that God can give us. And that's often why he delays or appears to delay in answering our prayers. It's in order to, to urge us to pray more, um, because the very end of prayer, the purpose of prayer, is simply union with God. It's, it's, um, that's the greatest thing he can give us. Uh, it's the greatest good. I don't know if our listeners are familiar with a, a spiritual writer by the name of Father Hubert Van Zeller, uh, a Benedictine. He's wrote about, I don't know, 50 or 60 books. Um, some really good stuff. Uh, um, and one of his books, uh, I really like what he said about petitionary prayer. And this is from his book, Approach to Prayer, 1957. <clears throat> he says, this is a longer quote, but I think it's, it's uh, well said. Uh, quote, once this principle is grasped, and he's basically referring to pretty much what I just talked about, the difficulty experienced by souls whose intentions have not been realized in the terms requested, the difficulty of unanswered prayer, virtually disappears. There is an instinctive understanding of the permissive will of God and of the limited vision of man. The soul now knows that the best thing it can do is to let the Holy Ghost take over the direction of its affairs in general and in particular. The acknowledgement of divine dominion is itself a furtherance of the divine purpose. Prayer intentions, accordingly, handed over to God with no conditions attached, assume a different part in the general action of prayer, where the overall petition is that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. The urgency of personal requests is lessened. The soul no longer feels that it must be, must by one means or another catch the Holy Spirit's attention. The feeling is rather that the Holy Spirit's point of view must somehow be acquired. It now dawns upon the soul that this point of view can be acquired only by selfless prayer and love. From this point onwards, the whole focus of attention is altered. God's intention in prayer is seen to matter, and one's own not at all. The exact meaning of God's intention may not be understood, but this inability on the soul's part is not felt to be of consequence. All that now concerns the soul is the work of conforming the human will with the divine intention. What it all means can be left to God. 
either to explain or to leave unexplained. The soul knows that whether it sees it or not, the ultimate explanation of God's will is love. Love is the meaning of God's hidden intentions, and it is love that draws the soul to waive its own intentions in, favors, in favor of God's. This is why the mystics find themselves seldom asking God for things. It is not that they deliberately exclude the prayer of petition, but that their prayer of praise and trust assumes that the needs which they might be praying for are in fact being attended to. Such souls make specific requests when asked by their friends to do so, but they do not normally feel drawn to beg favors on their own account. They feel that to do this only diverts energy from a more direct worship of God. There is nothing wrong about asking for what we need. Indeed, it is so right that our Lord tells us to do it. Four clauses of the Our Father being prayers of petition. But we should avoid dictating to God the manner in which our need must be met. It must remain the prayer of petition and not turn to the prayer of particularization. We must, act, we must make an act of faith about the great value to God and to our own souls of that prayer which leaves him an open field. The prayer which narrows to a pinpoint request is likely to be inspired more by self than by grace. The same kind of faith must cover those occasions when we feel we are not honoring our obligations with regard to our friends, not praying for them by name, and even forgetting that we have promised them with our prayers. We must refuse to be stampeded by scruple in this matter. Unquote. So basically, as we grow in the spiritual life, that you're going to be more um, abandoned to God's will. Uh, and you'll see that if you're meant, if, 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 if you're supposed to get something, it will happen. And you can pray for that, but you'll be already resigned that not my will, but God's be done. And there's peace in that. And you'll know that ultimately it's, it's the best thing for you. And, and this naturally leads to just prayer intentions in general. Uh, one thing uh, you often find in regards to prayer intentions is that some people make huge, long lists of people to pray for. Uh, either uh, they write them down literally, or they have huge mental lists. And uh, before they pray, it takes about you know 10 minutes to list everyone. Um, they're struggling, oh, did I miss someone? Um, and they think that if they miss a name, or, or, or they forget to explain uh, themselves well enough with their intention, that their prayer will not be quite as, a, as effective. Uh, and this is not necessary. Uh, we have to remember, um, again, our, the words of our Lord. He says, when you are praying, speak not much as the heathens, for they think that in their much speaking, they may be heard. Be not you therefore like to them, for your Father knoweth what is needful for you before you ask him. So, we don't have to torment ourselves or have any anxiety uh, uh, in the matter of explaining our intentions to God in scrupulous detail. God already knows what we need better than we do. He knows our intentions before we open our mouths, as soon as they're formulated uh, in our hearts. Um, and I, I think we, we just have to approach God more in a childlike manner. Uh, and this is what St. Therese of the Child Jesus said. When I pray, I simply say what I want to God, and he always understands me. So we don't have to worry that we have to phrase it <clears throat> uh, just, just, just right 
uh, and if we miss a word, oh, that's why it, it wasn't answered. I didn't quite specify. So, no, he knows exactly what you need um, before right. you, you, you bring it up. Well, I think <laughs> that goes back to what we've covered in earlier shows about the uh, omnipotence of God right. and omniscience right. of God, I guess, more uh, right. more appropriately. I mean, mm-hmm. he, uh, he knows everything, so we don't have to... Um, right. We, right. we we don't have to be all that specific because he already knows what we're we're talking about. Right. Right. Uh, I I think it also goes back to the truth of of uh, the omnipresence uh, or the divine indwelling. And, and, um, that God is a spirit. Uh, he reads your soul like an open book. Um, not only is he he sees it, he knows what's there. <clears throat> it wouldn't be there unless he he uh, in a sense created it or or permitted it to exist right and uh, yes, and he yeah. was there whenever we made any promises to pray for someone so he'd know uh yeah absolutely who, who we were uh we intending to pray for right. right and i have uh really wonderful um uh references to that i think this is important because people have a, i think a scrupulosity in this matter um and they have an anxiety that comes um you know, we should pray for people, definitely. We should make uh, explicit intentions from time to time, definitely. But we shouldn't worry so much about it. Um, and this is why I wanted to uh, read to you a few excerpts on this topic, because I find it very practical and helpful. <clears throat> and over the years, I found some confirmation of this point of spirituality. So, again, it's not my opinion. Here's some other authors and authorities. <clears throat> um I found in a book on St. Therese of the Child Jesus uh, called The Complete Spiritual Doctrine of St. Therese of the Sioux uh, by Father Francois Chamart, uh, um, Carmelite. He writes this about St. Therese. <clears throat> she, St. Therese of the Sioux, did not waste time in explaining to God in detail her own intentions or those that had been recommended to her. She feared, she said, that she would never come to the end of her litany of intentions, and again that she might forget some of them. Such litanies she considered useless complications, declaring simple souls don't need complicated means. Sometimes, however, wishing to be charitable to a sister who had recommended an intention to her, she very quickly addressed herself to God, but after that gave it no more thought. She did not specify to whom she destined the merits of her works. She wrote, I cannot force myself to say, my God, this is for the church. Give this to Peter. Give that to Paul. The good Lord knows well and well what to do with my merits. I will give him everything in order to please him. When I pray for my brother missionaries, I do not offer my sufferings, but simply say, my God, give them what I myself would like to receive. Unquote. <clears throat> so again, it's, it's the simplicity of of spiritual childhood with God. Uh, one of my favorite quotes on this topic is um, from uh, one of my favorite spiritual writers, Father John Nicholas Grew. Uh, he's a Jesuit. He died 1803. I highly recommend his works. Sometimes they're a little hard to find, but you can find um, his Manual for Interior Souls. Um, uh, usually, being a Benedictine myself, I... Um, most Jesuit spirituality I don't find uh, too attractive, but <laughs> it's kind of interesting that um, that many of my favorite spiritual writers are Jesuits, but these Jesuits, um, they tended to be of the old contemplative school, 
and they weren't quite accepted by their, their brothers at the time. Um, they're more of the pre-Reformation, the simple spirituality, more contemplative, <clears throat> and that's really why I, I find myself more attracted to them, as they, they, they're more simple in their approach. And he says <clears throat> this, uh, quote, People treat with God as they do with men, thinking that they are not understood unless they go into detailed explanations of the things they require. They carefully get ready their intention. They have express forms for each and every act. They name separately each person they wish to pray for. And if the least detail escapes their memory, they do not think that God can supply it. Souls of little faith and who know not God, your intentions are present to him before you open your mouth. He sees them as soon as they are formed in your heart. What need have you to torment yourselves in explaining them to him? You desire all spiritual blessings as much for yourselves as for those in whom you take an interest. Is he ignorant of this? Since he himself inspires you with these desires, do not then have any anxiety concerning this matter. Unquote. I think that is very clear. And um, again, Abbot Columba uh, Marnian, Benedictine, 1934 in his spiritual letters, he says, as regards your intentions in prayer, there are many souls who find that great precision and nicety in specifying various intentions in prayer interferes with the unity of their prayer and is a cause of anxiety and distractions. For such souls, <clears throat> the best thing is to specify these intentions from time to time, for example, once in the morning, and then, then a simple glance of the soul is sufficient to recall them at the beginning of prayer. However, in all this, follow the attraction of the Holy Ghost with great peace, as all anxiety is the mortal enemy of that disposition which the Holy Ghost wishes to find in that soul, which he calls to a great union with him, unquote. So, again, we, we've made the list mentally of who we want to pray for. We don't have to keep repeating it every time we sit down to pray, uh, kneel down to pray. We can just simply, God knows who you want to pray for especially. He already knows that list. And you simply refer to it, uh, you know, just briefly uh, 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 glance at it mentally in a sense. And God knows who's on there. I remember uh, at the monastery, um, you know, people would call uh, Christ the King Abbey all the time with prayer intentions. And we didn't write down all those prayers. God knows, uh, you know, the abbot always told us that whenever we accept someone's prayer, yes, we'll pray for you. That goes on in a sense. That goes goes in in a in a sense a spiritual list that God knows. It's in heaven. God knows it, and we simply pray for all those who have asked our prayers, who need our prayers, and who we promised our prayers. Um, so that that takes care of it. Another excerpt on this topic here. This is uh, from the book Common Mystic Prayer, which I referred to at the beginning. This is by Father, by Father Gabriel Diefenbach, and he's writing this especially in view of uh, contemplation, uh, because as we grow in the spiritual life, progress in prayer is progress towards simplicity and unity uh, in our prayer life and um, and not multiplicity. And so this applies even to, you know, especially to prayer intentions. Um, Father Gabriel says this, <clears throat> quote, again, this simplification applies even in the matter of explicit intentions made in prayer. Some souls are reduced to such a loving simplicity in things spiritual as to dwell, so to say, in the very atmosphere of love. It is, it is difficult for them to form particular intentions. Their distaste for doing so may at first distress them 
until they arrive at a truer understanding of prayer. The case comes to mind of a person who has long led to contemplation without suspecting it. This person was working against the call of grace for several years by forcing endless particular acts and devotions, not only in an effort to enkindle some feeling of fervor, but especially with a view to liberating the soul of a deceased relative. This apparently was the subject of the prayer life, and it was hindering progress, if not causing distaste for prayer. When this person was instructed how to correspond with the action of the Holy Ghost, everything became clear and a new and simplified spiritual life began. Such persons may think that they are not helping departed relatives and friends without making explicit applications and intentions, but they must come to understand that their new way of prayer is the way of unceasing love and is so vastly pleasing to the heavenly spouse, the infinitely generous divine lover, that he will grant all and more than they would obtain in particular intentions. For this God of all consolation, who searches the reins and heart, is delighted to anticipate the intentions and requests of the loving soul. Unquote. Coming towards the end of today's episode, I still have a little bit to talk about, but I wanted to leave uh, before I end this episode. I wanted to, there are several points which I just want to emphasize, um, really, which all the, the quotes and experts, excerpts so far have somewhat hinted at and provided. Uh, and in future episodes, I'll um, reinforce them. And, there, and these are the points that I want to say is the first one is that. Uh, a prayer is not exactly the same thing as reciting prayers, and devotion is not the same thing as devotions, uh, plural. Uh, prayer must have some interior element, a true raising of the mind and heart to God, or it's not really prayer. It's not just rushing through prayer and trying to uh, treating it as some kind of magical formula. Um, and you'll find this again. I, I noticed that um, even when people make uh, a Thanksgiving after Holy Communion, you, you see them with their missile. And I, I'm only judging externally here. I don't know what's going on necessarily, but I get the impression um, from, from you know, uh, talking with people that uh, they're trying to read through um, huge formulas and it's really meaning nothing to them, but they think, oh, I got to read this page. Let's do another page, another page. And it's really just a matter of, I'm just trying to get through it. Um, and the words really, I'm not really meaning what I'm saying. I'm just trying to recite them quickly. I'm, I'm just trying to read through them. Uh, they're not my, my devotion. You're really giving to God someone else's devotion that they wrote down. Um, so they try to rush through. I got to get through my prayers. Um, and it's really, if there is prayer there, it's definitely not of the, the highest kind. Um, we should pray slowly. We should not treat it uh, in a way that, um, you know, um, just reciting with the lips. Because God really looks to the heart, um, not so much the lips and the imagination. The, really, the heart of prayer is that it truly comes from the heart. St. <clears throat> Gregory the Great says this, true prayer is not in the sound of the voice, but in the desire of the heart. Not our words, but our desires give power to the cries in God's hearing. If we ask for eternal life without desiring it from the bottom of our heart, our cry is a silence. But if without speaking we desire it from our heart, our very silence cries out. Now, I'm not sure here. I have an excerpt from Father John Grew. 
on this. I will read through it, and uh, we're almost finished this episode here. But these words, again, um, I find them so good. So for the record here, I want to uh, record them. Father John grew in his book, um, I believe this, um, oh, I forget what, what the title of this book is, where it's from. Um, <clears throat> he says, quote, from his book, How to Pray, actually. It's, he says, unless God should teach us, we shall never have a thorough knowledge of the nature of prayer. And I have no hesitation in asserting that many Christians, even among the able and learned, do not possess it. God is a spirit, said Jesus Christ, and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> prayer, then, is, an, is in itself an entirely spiritual act and is addressed to the supreme spirit, the spirit who sees all things and is present in all things, and is, as St. Augustine says, more closely united to our soul than its deepest depths. If we add to what is of the essence of prayer certain bodily postures, words, external marks of devotion, all these of themselves mean nothing and are only pleasing to God inasmuch as they express the sentiments of the soul. It is, properly speaking, the heart that prays. It is the voice of the heart that God lends an attentive ear. Whoever speaks of the heart means that which is most spiritual within us. It is indeed noteworthy that in Holy Scripture, prayer is always attributed to the heart. It is, moreover, the heart that God teaches, and it is the heart, when instructed how to pray, that afterwards enlightens the understanding. If this be so, and we cannot doubt it that it is, why do we pray so much with the lips and so little with the heart? Why do we not draw our prayer from this source instead of having recourse to our memory and our lips? Why in meditation do we rack our brains so much in the search for considerations, while there is little action of the will moving it to make acts of love? Why indeed do we not simply hold up our hearts before God and beg him to put into it whatever prayer is pleasing to him? For no method can be bad when it results when it results from humility, from a deep sense of our own incapacity, and from an ardent faith and confidence in God, and when the Holy Ghost himself su suggests it to souls who ask him to teach them to pray. But my heart says nothing to me, you say. When I am in the presence of God, if I, if I attempt to look inward, I find nothing but emptiness, dryness, and distractions. To fill up my time, to excite feelings of devotion, to withdraw my mind from troublesome thoughts, I must absolutely make use of a book. What? Your heart says nothing. Certainly, so long as it is silent, you are not praying. But if it is dumb, when left to itself, it is more so when your lips are uttering words. Do you not see that the high-flown sentiments which you borrow from books act only on your imagination, that they are not your own, or rather only seem to be your own for the moment? You are reading them, and once the book is closed, you are just as dry, just as cold as you were before. Nevertheless, I have prayed, say you, while reading or reciting these formulae. Your self-love thinks so, and is satisfied, but is God's judgment the same as yours? Is God equally satisfied? What, what does he care for words? He who listens only to the heart. And here I just want to insert that he's not necessarily uh, discouraging all vocal prayer, but just the, the, the quick recital of them. And as I was saying is that what happens is that when we recite these long paragraph prayers, um, our imagination is affected by what we're saying, but 
we don't really mean what we say. You know, sometimes we just we should take a prayer line by line and say, do I actually mean what I'm saying here? Sometimes we'd be shocked what we're saying. We actually mean that we're smitten with love for God and that we'd rather die than commit sin. Do we really mean it? We want to, perhaps, but that we should try to conform ourselves, um, our mind and heart, to actually what our lips are professing. Um, and our prayer would be much more valuable than just quantity. Again, quality rather than quantity here. And really, the, the, the voice of the heart is really love. Um, this is what Saint Gru, uh, Father Gru here was getting to. My second point is <clears throat> uh, progress in prayer is progress towards simplicity, uh, towards a simpler, uh, yet uh, more profound kind of prayer. And that's na- namely interior contemplation. It's really we're trying to get become more and more contemplative. It's really the life of heaven. Um, not everyone reaches the same amount, and it doesn't mean that one's holier than not, but but we should strive for for progress in prayer. And this doesn't rule out all vocal prayer, but the goal of the life of prayer is really contemplative union with God. Um, Progress in prayer is not towards uh, a multiplicity of formulas or a complexity of methods, uh, but towards a more childlike simplicity and loving unity. That's an important point. Progress in spirituality, progress in prayer is really, it's not progress in multiplicity. It's not quantity. Um, that's not real progress. Uh, prayer eventually becomes so simple uh, as to become a simple loving gaze upon God in faith. And this is really what contemplation is. Um, and everyone is familiar with that that, that peasant uh, who described his prayer to St. John Vianney uh, when he's in church. He just He doesn't have books. He doesn't say anything, he just sits and and looks at the tabernacle, and he said to St. John Vianney, uh, I look at him, and he looks at me. So so quality is always to be prefer, pre, uh, preferred to quantity. That if we use vocal prayers, let us remember that they are a means to an end, not an end itself. And we'll talk more about that um, next time. Um, but I do want to kind of finish this episode, which is uh, some a uh, few uh, short uh, excerpts, um, which I might refer to in the next episode as well. This is one of my favorites from St. Thomas Aquinas. He says, vocal prayer is a means of exciting internal devotion, and it is by means of internal devotion that the mind is raised to God. Vocal prayer should be used to the extent that it is useful in stimulating devotion. But as soon as it distracts the mind or hinders its soaring, it should be abandoned, a point which happens especially with those whose mind is so sufficiently prepared for mental prayer as to have no need for vocal prayer. Again, vocal prayer is a means to an end, not an end in itself. Uh, Archbishop Alvin Goodyear, spiritual writer and a great biographer of of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The public life of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which he wrote, which is excellent, uh, from the 1930s. Uh, he was considered the foremost authority on the life of Christ at the time. And he said this, I love this quote, I would rather say, Jesus, I love you for an hour, if I could mean it all the time, than repeat or read the most perfect act of love composed by the greatest saint, unquote. Again, simplicity, God's looking for your heart, uh, your love, not, not, <clears throat> not the um, devotion of some saint, 
you know, they actually meant what they wrote, but often we recite their prayers and not really mean it. We don't really mean it. So if you can mean it in a, in a, in a smaller prayer like that, it's, it's really a more value than just more words. Uh, St. Benedict in his Holy Rule says this, it's not in the multitude of words, but in purity of heart that we are heard. We, it just it comes back to we have to start realizing that in prayer we're speaking to a real person. Uh, God is real, <clears throat> and he reads your heart perfectly. He knows your thoughts and desires better than you do. So we can't treat him just as a mere human that might misunderstand us. Um, so to speak to him as a little child, be simple. Speak to him as a friend uh, to your best friend. Um, it's really the method of the saint, St. Therese of the child Jesus says, I have not the courage to force myself to seek beautiful prayers and books. Not knowing which to choose, I act as children do who cannot read. I say quite simply to the good God what I want to tell him, and he always understands me. And that close is these two words of St. Saint Therese Saint of Avila. Prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart conversation with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. And I will close with these powerful, powerful words of St. Teresa of Avila, which I quoted at the beginning. There is but one road that reaches God, and that is prayer. If anyone shows you another, you're being deceived. So the next episode will deal uh, more explicitly about vocal prayer and meditation and other kinds of prayer. Well, thank you very much, Father, and uh, looking forward to that. And uh, of course, uh, as listeners will no doubt already know, but just as a reminder, this is in fact the last episode for, of uh, the spiritual life for this season. So there won't be a show in December, and we'll be uh, then picking up again on this series on prayer in January of 2015 with the start of the new season. And uh, this is also the last show for myself as the main host. Uh, I'm sure I'll be back at some point uh, to, to substitute here and there as as need be. But uh, in uh, next season, uh, we'll be having a new host taking over, uh, another uh, man from uh, from uh, Our Lady of Victory, so someone who knows Father Bernard well, uh, Mr. John Thompson. Listeners may be familiar from with him from our uh, flagship show entitled Confessions of a Nova Sordo Seminarian. Uh, John Thompson was the one who joined us for that show. And uh, I know we got a lot of positive feedback on uh, his show that he was on, and uh, we really enjoyed having him on. And uh, he's uh, agreed to help us with our apostolate, and so he'll be taking over uh, hosting duties of the spiritual life for me. So uh, in the new season, you'll be starting with a new host. And uh, although, as I say, hopefully I'll be back at some point. Uh, so uh, just an extra special thank you to our uh, listeners for um, joining us this season. And Father, uh, thank you for uh, doing the show this season and uh, looking forward to uh, enjoying the show more as a listener than as a, as a host next year. Well, most of these shows you were just listening. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, wish, I wish I was able to, to, to uh, have a, you know, a conversation, uh, more conversation, but uh, definitely takes a lot of preparation to to, to get everything set up. So. Yeah, well, and there's just so, so much information that we plow through each episode. Right. Uh, I think it just it works out well in the format that we do it. But um, right, 
in any event, Father, I know you've uh, got a um, busy schedule, so uh, thank you for joining us, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, have a good You're evening. Yeah, you too. God bless you. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you uh, found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to uh, the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile, and specifically Father Bernard. And uh, remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. And uh, if you want to contact Father Bernardi electronically or uh, make any suggestions or comments or questions about the show, those can always be directed uh, by email to spirituallife at truerestoration.org. That's spirituallife, all one word, at truerestoration.org. And uh, we also want to remind you that The Spiritual Life is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Uh, however, permission can usually very easily be obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. 